That's right, kids, from the Coastal Pinball Research Center and Greasy Jim's Oil Change in beautiful Victoria, B.C. It's Vancouver Island Pinball. Hello, it's Dan Bitterlick here with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast, and we are at Episode 4. Today we're going to give you the status of uh, pinball on the island. We're also going to uh, interview Brent Hayashi, the Director of Officiating for the VPL. We're going to have uh, What's in the Shop with Daryl. Daryl, what's in the shop? On What's in the Shop today, we're going to fire up the Coastal Pinball Research Time Machine and take a trip. Back in time. Sounds neato. And then we'll be wrapping things up with an interview with... uh, Pinball Profile and Final Round Pinball Podcast host, Jeff Teolis. As well, stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for info on our first ever VIP podcast contest. I can't believe it. I couldn't be more excited. I wish you were here now, you know. Current status of Pinball on the Island. Uh, Powerhouse Pinball is still closed to the public, but they are streaming Saturdays and Sundays from 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on their Twitch channel. Quasars is open uh, for private rentals of up to six people in the same bubble for one-hour rentals. Contact Quasars regarding that. Peacock's Billiards is open, but you need to contact them directly to find out what the current status with their pinball machines is. And Wiffle Games and Wizards Arcade in Shimanus are open, but again, I would contact them directly to find out what the current status is regarding the arcades. Hi, it's Dan Bitterlick with Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. I'm here with Brent Hayashi, the Director of Officiating for the for the Victoria Pinball Leagues. Brent, how you doing? Doing pretty good, Dan. How <laughs> yeah, you doing? You're doing better than I am after all those bleeps. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess I've known you since... Uh, September of uh, eighteen, I guess that's, yeah, that's, I guess that's when, when the, we started uh, everything up. Started at yeah, and you were you were definitely another one of the day oneers, which uh, was amazing. Yeah, Carrie and Ashley beat me down the stairs. I think I saw them park and walk uh, just ahead of me, and they were the first two to join the league. And uh, fair enough. Shortly, yeah, they, shortly behind them. Yeah, no, and we were talking because Ashley was the first ever uh, person to play on Vancouver on Vancouver Island in an IFPA event. That uh, that's her little bit of trivia. You know when we. When we do our trivia competitions later on down the road, that'll be one of the answers, is that Ashley was the first person ever to play. Um, what got you into pinball in the first place, Brent? Um, I guess I was always interested when I was a kid. You'd see these machines next to the arcade machines. I grew up in the 80s, so a lot of arcade machines in corner stores and stuff like that, and a little bit of like the arcade scene. Um, and you'd see these pinball machines, and they were just so different than the arcade games. And right. As a small child, I wasn't tall enough to actually stand up to the machine, so I remember having parents actually have to physically hold me up so I could play these oh, wow. games. But it was just such a such a magical experience, I think, for a child. You get to control this ball, and I guess, you know, they talk about the world under glass. But right. really, as a kid, it, it cap- captivated my imagination. So that was definitely the, the roots of it. 
Okay. Now, was that all in Victoria or were you in Vancouver as well? I grew up in uh, New Westminster, so just outside, okay, outside of Vancouver. Right. So that was the bulk of where I was playing a lot of uh, a lot of my arcade games and, and pinball machines. But typically, yeah, 7-Elevens and corner stores that would have like two arcade machines and a pinball machine. Yeah, that's, uh, there, there's a lot of us that grew up on that and the, the occasional strip mall, you know, arcade that might have a few more machines in it, uh, that kind of thing. But yeah. Uh, definitely different days now. Um, we don't uh, we don't see a lot of pinball in the in public. Uh, the the league that we're speaking of VPL uh, occurred because we finally found a location that had uh, four machines. Um, that was sort of the minimum that we could could run with, and uh, when we became aware of that, that's when we uh, finally set up VPL. And uh, and that first night, uh, we we're talking about it with Carrie and Ashley uh, here as well that. Uh, it was an amazing night. We were expecting somewhere between six and a dozen, and we ended up with twenty nine people. and uh, And yeah, we had uh, that. That was a it was a really good start to uh, to what we built. Yeah, I uh, certainly remember that night and just seeing all the different people. Like I, I wasn't sure how many people would show up. Mm-hmm. I was hoping it would be you know more than ten people, but right. I had no idea. I no. just saw the posters up on, uh, you know, up around town and uh, had a lot of friends that knew that I was into pinball being like, hey, Brent, have you seen the posters? Have you seen the posters? I'm like, yes, I have. I'm going to be there for sure. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to see that many people come out and how many people were just enthusiastic to check it out. Yeah, and that 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 is what builds the community, right? It's the enthusiasm and um, just just the general feeling of like, hey, there's other people like me that really get into this and... And, you know, for a lot of people, it's not been the competition. It's been the socialization, um, socializing, uh, you know, and a uh, chance to get out. Uh, we play in different places now. Um, we just actually came off the night where we were in the powerhouse, which is the newest location in Victoria. Uh, amazing uh, 1892 building. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful space. It is. It's a very unique, too. Like, it's just, I've never seen anything like it in, in Canada. Or I've seen pictures of buildings like it in Europe but most of those places are in basements and they don't have the 60 foot ceilings that uh, powerhouse had or or has um and um yeah it was uh I, I would look forward to many further adventures in there now we mentioned that you were the uh, director of officiating um there's some history there i know when the league started and i was trying to place people there were only two of us that were were ranked, uh, myself and Jason. Um, but you had an obvious interest and a knowledge of pinball that was deeper than somebody that hadn't been playing competitive pinball. Where did that come from? Well, I, given that there was no pinball to play in Victoria, um, to, I guess, feed that, uh, that urge, I played a lot online. A pinball Arcade had come out on uh, PlayStation 3, and actually the same company had a game that came out for the Wii before that. And that kind of re-sparked my interest. I'm like, I can, I can play these games that I remember as a kid, like, you know, Fireball and uh, Black Knight and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, I can actually play this on my, you know, my console. And then kind of at the same time as I was looking into that, I started to see these streams from Papa Pinball online that were streaming competitions where I had uh, video on demand of, of past competitions. And I'd never seen anything like this before. So watching these players play at such a, an amazingly high skill level um, and also the personalities in pinball too is actually kind of interesting as mm-hmm. you start to watch a lot of these competitions and you see a lot of the different competitors, there's some great personalities, but just really watching these players compete and the things that they could do with a pinball machine just blew my mind. Cause as someone who enjoyed playing, um, 
throughout my entire life, I had no idea that one, there was competitions that were at this level and people were able to just kind of push the rules and um, just push the way they play the game just even further than I could even imagine as a, as a casual player. So that just right. really sparked my interest. And so I just really dug in and anytime Papa was going to stream uh, a live tournament, I'd try to make sure that I could watch it. Um, and then there was a local connection too with um, Robert Gagno as he really Correct. started to get uh, up and coming. And he's a local just from Burnaby, so uh, you know, right next door to where I grew up. That was def- definitely piqued my interest as well. And um, someone to cheer for, uh, for as he was rising the ranks. Oh yeah, no, I was actually at Robert's first tournament away from Vancouver, which was a Canadian Pinball Championships, when he was 16, I think. And uh, already then you could see that there was a lot of ability. Uh, you know, again, when you get more into a, a larger scene rather than just a city scene, the tournaments change a little bit. The competition becomes more uh, more fierce. Um, but the, the skill levels just go through the roof. I guess for me, one of the things that I learned when I first came into competition was I'd always been about replays and different things like that growing up because you're trying to save your quarter. Um, and I just never really thought about how to maximize points and things like that. Um, you know, when, especially when I, now when I'm playing older solid states, let's say the game has changed dramatically. Like there's exploits, I guess is a, a relative term, but there's strategies that are so um, different than what I was doing at the time. It sort of amazes me. Like, you couldn't have figured this out when you were 20 or 18 or whatever. And it's like, no, no, at that point I couldn't. Well, it really changes the way you play because even now, I guess, especially that we've gone into kind of these COVID times, now that I'm playing more just for pleasure when I do mm-hmm. have the opportunity to play pinball, whereas the last couple of years since VPL started, I've been really focused on that competitive mindset. So it's like, how do I play this machine in a competition setting where I'm trying to maximize my points with the least amount of risk? Right. Whereas if I'm just playing for fun, I might just want to play more for whimsy or just kind of just have these other goals that I want to explore that's not just about points. And maybe it is replays and extra balls, which don't really factor into competition so much. No, true enough. And and then the other side, too, is especially as we've come into more modern machines with modes and mini wizard modes and wizard modes. I know, um, you know, I'm asked occasionally that I've been playing games of Thrones, Game of Thrones a lot. You know, what do you go for? And it's like I go for Iron Throne. Every game I play, you know, if I'm not playing in competition, it's like, that's the goal. I've only gotten there twice, but that is the goal. Um, you know, and when I'm playing Circus Voltaire, I want to join the circus. Um, you know, it's not the most uh, lucrative thing as far as points go, but it's satisfying. But you're right. When you're playing competition, you have to adjust your your vision and your mindset because uh, often there you're taking more risks you know, then the reward is, and that's, that's the biggest thing in competition is minimizing your risk and maximizing your, your points. So, so yeah, very, very true. It changes a lot when the pressure's on too. That's what I found too, from the very first night that it came out to play in VPL. I was very excited to play in competition, but I had no experience doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, I guess the nerves, I guess, of, um, playing against someone and knowing that this game counts, you don't get a redo. You can't just put another dollar in and play another game. Well, you can, but it's not going to account for anything. <laughs> yeah, but, fair uh, enough. 
Um, yeah, so you have one shot against that other person or the three other people that you're playing against, and those stakes make it a lot more fun. Adds a bit of stress, but it's uh, it's fun stress to play through. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things also you mentioned it when we talk about uh, the league and the players that we've come through, because we've had a little over 100 players come through, and we're probably at 50-ish regulars nowadays. I mean, there have been a few uh, players that just really didn't find competition to be enjoyable for them. They found the stress to be too much. And and you know what? In the, in the end, it's best that they're not competing then because the whole idea of this is to have a little bit of enjoyment out of the competition part, but just really to enjoy yourself, period. And, and it isn't for everybody. Um, I think the majority of people do enjoy it, you know, at different levels. Um, for some people, there has to be something on the line all the time. And for other people, if there is something on the line, you know, they're not enjoying it. But the broad number of people actually fit in the middle where they get satisfaction out of competing but if they win they win and if they don't win that's okay too i think it's good to find that that medium or that that middle ground because yeah, if, if you're not having fun and you're just in it purely for the competition you're probably not going to enjoy it at, at the end of the day no and i know we're definitely not going to play well either. exactly well you're not going to play well or you're just going to take it too hard when you don't yeah um and, and like i say we've had one or two of those that uh that uh Sadly, you just have to say, hey, you know, you're, you're better off just popping in your tokens at a different time and, and not competing because if it's making you miserable, don't do it. We but to the edit. same end, like it's really fun to have those close games and to lose those close games because it makes you just want to get that much better. And, and we can see it in our league where the skill level was when we started oh, to yes. where we are now. It's pretty incredible to see um, everyone, that everyone's uh, boat has risen, I guess, with the tide. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good analogy, and and it's true. We've we've been a very open league as well. Like generally, I can't think of any player that isn't assisting other players. Like especially some of the better players, and we've run our skill our skill uh, Sundays and stuff like that, where we've been able to get free play practice for people um, at a fixed cost. Um, all these things are important um, because you're trying to build an overall skill set. And I, I think that's actually where the most enjoyment can come for the regular player. It's just seeing themselves improve. You know, your ball times are getting a little longer. You're getting to the uh, through the modes. You're getting to a mini wizard mode or a wizard mode. I mean, those are the first time you get through something like that is a really enjoyable thing. You know, um, Willy Wonka, the first time you get through a few of those multi balls and, and lights are going everywhere. That, that just is, uh, if that doesn't get your adrenaline going, then check your pulse. That's just yes. a really fun game to it play, is. too. It's just it a is. fun game to flip. It used to be more fun until you beat me on Friday <laughs> on it. But uh, up, up until then, it was a really fun game. I actually managed to, my first game on it was against Steve. And that was his first, the, the owner of Powerhouse. And that was his first ever competition. And it was just amazing watching him change. Because, as you mentioned, for the first time, it meant something. You know, he, and, and he, def, he definitely did play tighter. He's been playing a lot too. So oh, I've been yeah. watching him play on the streams and I've kind yep. of seen him play a bit when I've been down to Powerhouse and he's his skill levels improved quite oh, a bit because he's been, huge. He's, you can see the time that he's been putting in. That's true. That's true. And so it was just sort of interesting me drawing him in the very first game and on a game that I'm not particularly knowledgeable about and uh, managed to squeak it out. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I still don't understand that game at all, but I have a lot of fun when I do play it. Yeah, I mean, there's only I think three or four people in our group, like you know, in our in our league or or uh, that really do understand the rules there. I'm starting to understand a little more, piece by piece. Um, 
you know, in COVID times, obviously that also affects things because I haven't been able to get on the game that often. Um, and I haven't really watched any streams on it. So might have to put that into the bank for something that I need to get better on, um, you know, in the future, especially since we'll be running more things at Powerhouse. Well, but in your role as an official, I mean, one of the things that most people, I guess, are curious about is uh, what actually are we officiating? Um, uh, can you give some examples of, of uh, things that have happened during league play and uh, or tournament play that you've seen? And uh, how did we deal with them? For sure, and I guess you know, start of, part of this comes from me watching a lot of competition before playing myself, and you'd see a lot of bizarre stuff happen in machines. I guess with these competitive players, they're stressing them in ways that I guess again that uh, I never thought would be imaginable. But so some of the things that can happen are the machine can malfunction. So like mm-hmm. those things are either minor malfunctions where the machine just kind of does something. It could happen to you, the next player as well. You kind of just have to accept those, I guess, being like the mechanical nature of pinball. Right. They can certainly upset you and put a quick end to your ball. Um, But yeah, those are some things to look out for. So players can be upset with, say, um, a kickback doesn't fire properly and their ball drains. Right. um, And they want their ball back. But unfortunately, that is a minor malfunction. That's just, you know, it might might work for the next player, but that's just something. Those are the breaks. Yeah, that's pinball. Yeah, and it's happened to me before as well when you really needed that ball three and then there goes your tournament life down the drain right there. Um, but then there's other things that can happen where it's like a major malfunction with a with a machine and that's uh, something that maybe you'll have to take the machine out of uh, circulation or stop the games or restart the games. Like that's something where you may actually have to stop, uh, stop the games for everyone that are playing and kind of either reset them on a new machine or try to find some way to make it equitable for all players that it would be uh, a fair playing field moving forward. Yeah, and I believe I remember at least one or two instances in league where we've physically taken machines out because, and, and just had people restart uh, on different machines for that reason, yeah. So okay. it's pretty common, so like a flipper might not work or yep. something like that. So, you know, those where you can take the machine just straight out of competition and just move them on to something else. Um, but then the other things that can happen too is players can manipulate the machine in such a way that uh, I guess would go against the, the nature of... Uh, friendly competition, or I guess a fair competition. So certain things that could happen is uh, sometimes you'll get like a multi-ball happening on an older machines that don't have uh, an automatic um, uh, shooter lane. What am I looking for the word here? An automatic... uh, Yeah, launch. Like an auto launch. Auto launch, um, where you actually physically have to launch the ball. Sometimes balls can get stuck in the shooter lane. So if you wanted to, you could just leave that ball there. And it's pretty much like it was having an insurance policy. So right. And that's, that's a no-no. That's sure. in competition play. That's a no-no. And, uh, you know, you're expected to launch that ball um, at your easiest convenience. Mm-hmm. But um, you can't leave it there for, for as long as you want. So that's something to look out for. Um, another move uh, that would, would not be allowed in tournament play is a death save. So... That's common if a ball drains down the uh, the right out lane and you can hit the machine in such a way as the ball's draining that it'll bounce off the, the bottom of the play field and then kind of launch back up between your two flippers mm-hmm. and then you get your ball back into play. So it's a pretty impressive move when you're able to pull it off and not tilt the machine, but unfortunately that's also not allowed in a tournament as well because it's... Uh, uh, it's hard on the machine. Um, it can be physically damaging to the players as well. So it's really just discouraged and uh, not allowed in, in tournament play. And I think we've had one instance of that, but I think we've taken care of that situation, and I don't think we'll ever see that one again, thankfully. Yeah, you know, and, and when we started VPL, um, you know, I was really interested uh, in your history, Dan, because you came from Toronto and or Ontario playing, a pro- or not professional, but competitive pinball. Yeah, well, definitely not professional. professional. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> competitive <laughs> pinball in, in Ontario. So I was really interested in, in your background and, um, and because of the streams that I had watched and um, just kind of seeing some things happening as we were playing. I mean, like, is that supposed to be allowed? Because I've seen tournaments where that's not allowed, but I guess that's okay here. Um, but I think you had a really good approach, um, especially in the beginning couple seasons of just making sure that people weren't overburdened with rules and just really getting comfortable of playing in that social environment and playing in a friendly competitive environment. But uh, over time, as players have gotten better and as uh, we've gotten more mature as a group, I think understanding the rules of competition, then we brought more uh, more rules into our tournament play as well. That's true, and league play too. I mean, I'm thinking of how we played extra balls to start, and uh, right. now with time constraints, we've had, we've had to go to single flip. Um, you know, we're not going to turn all the extra balls off of machines in a bar or in an arcade. Um, you know, that would be the competition way to do it, so that you'd be getting points instead. But we've come to the compromise that you know you get a single flipper hit after you've launched the ball. And, uh, I mean, it minimizes the value of extra balls, but it's the same for everybody. And it just helps us uh, proceed quicker through the night. And as, as skill levels have gone up, obviously, our nights have gone a little longer. So it, it's helpful that way. Yeah, it'd be nice if we could get points for those extra balls more often. But, uh, you know, it's difficult to get all that set up ahead of time, especially in some of the uh, venues that we play in. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that, that's the issue. I mean, we've done it most of the time when we've done tournaments where we're on the bank for the day. But when you're there for an hour and a half or two hours, you know, you just, there's limited amounts that you can do. Um, as, as with most things in life, it's a compromise. Now, um, one of the other questions I've had for you, Brent, is can you tell me the most interesting place you've played pinball? The most interesting place? Huh. I'm not sure if, because uh, I, I know you're prompting me based on a conversation I had with you before, but... I played pinball in, I guess, a couple of interesting places. Are we okay. thinking about the hostel in Amsterdam that I was playing in? I'm not sure. No, that isn't where I was thinking, but you, you can go with that. I was thinking more along the lines of a, a certain island. Oh, Very well, I island. can tell you that too, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you this one just real quickly. Um, it was 2001. I was uh, backpacking through Europe as a young person does, uh, and I was staying in this hostel in Amsterdam, and they had a Monster Bash pinball machine in the back next to the candy machine, and I'd never played Monster Bash before, and I guess it had come out three years prior in 1998. And uh, at that time, just around 2001, there, I was living on the island at the time. There was no pinball to be found anywhere. But, right. um, and I didn't realize how much of a pinball history and um, I guess how much pinball is around in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. So to find this pinball machine in this hostel, and I just fell in love with this Monster Bash theme because it was just really easy to understand. You can yeah. get multi-balls pretty easily, and I just I love the humor in it and all the characters. Great and job. I spent way too much time and money playing that pinball machine when I should have been mm-hmm. actually seeing the sights of Amsterdam. Backpacking in Europe, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was a good time. But, yeah, another uh, place, interesting place that I played pinball uh, is uh, Kauai Island Brewing in, uh, in Kauai. It's in Port Allen, uh, and it's a brewery that has six or seven pinball machines there. So I guess mm-hmm. the owner must be a pinhead. Uh, it would seem to be. And uh, yeah, I've been there twice, and they rotate out uh, a number of pinball machines, so it must be from their personal collection. But yeah, I got to play Wizard of Oz there the last time I was there, and uh, yeah, that was just absolutely wonderful. Oh, very cool. And I think I think that actually helped too, because uh, your fiancé at the time, but now your wife... Uh, uh, enjoyed Wizard of Oz too, and that always helps. Uh, 
you know, when you're trying to get out and get to the uh, brewery or to the arcade as well. So it, cer- it certainly helps. And she, she definitely indulges me to do both of my, uh, my pleasures of enjoying some craft beer and, and playing some pinball. But, uh, um, I had to show her wizard of Oz with the Ruby slippers on, on the flippers. And yeah, she, she really enjoyed that. Excellent. Thank you very much. So I think at this point we're going to wrap up the interview. Uh, I want to thank Brent for, uh, dropping on in and uh, giving us a bit of the background about uh, competitive pinball and as well as his history in pinball. Thank you, Brent. Thanks a lot for having me, Dan. Cheers. You see that sign? No shirt, no shoes, no pinball. (laughs) Right. Learn it. Know it. Live it. Daryl, what's in the shop? Well, something interesting came in last week. A gentleman brought me a 1948 Williams Yanks machine for restoration. Uh, it's it's really cool. If you've never seen a wood rail before, and a lot of peop- people haven't, it's an interesting machine. And I was looking at it, and it's going to take an extensive uh, restoration. But I was kind of wondering, back when it came out, what did they think of it? I kind of wonder. Hmm. I wonder. Gentlemen, take it away. A one and two and... Well, what a swinging intro by the Vancouver Island Big Band. Don't know the name of that tune, but it sure is snappy. Welcome to Vancouver Island Coin Operated Amusements, broadcasting to you from our 50,000 watt AM transmitter, November 1948. I'm Big D here with Danny. How you doing, Danny? Just swell, Big D. Say, now that that pesky war has been over a couple of years, I'm getting a lot of mail from the GI Swabbies and Flyboys. They got nickels burning holes in their pockets looking for some new coin op action. Well, Danny, did you hear that those boys at Williams have come up with a new machine? Yeah, I heard something at the pool hall about that. What's the scoop? Well, this one's a beaut. Those kids at Williams have made their 18th machine, and it's got them boys of summer playing for points. Yep, it's about baseball and called Yanks. Now, I know people have been talking about these things called flippers. Well, let me tell you, son, that this baby has four. Flippers? What do you mean, flippers? Danny, you gotta get the wifey to let you out more. A year ago, Gottlieb put these little movable bats on their Humpty Dumpty machine. Now, if you lose your ball, you can't blame Lady Luck anymore. Here you got a baseball diamond on the back where players actually run bases. Holy mackerel, it looks so real you can almost smell the wieners. That's right, Daddy. I thought I had a red hot in my hand playing this job. This is virtually real. Those eggheads at Williams really knocked it out of the park. Can't believe the science these days. Plays good, but what about the cabinet? Is the little lady going to let me have it in the parlor by the wireless? Aces on this too, Danny. Solid wood throughout with them swank wood rails on the side. And I can't say enough about the sound system. A bell makes one humdinger of a sound. Well, if I could scrape up 200 smackers, I'd get one for my rancher. Daddy, no one will ever want a coin-op machine in their house. But it does make me wonder, what will games be like in, say, 70 years? I wonder. Well, that was a bit of fun from Big D and Danny back in 1948. 
but it, it was very interesting. I really, really like old machines. And the oldest one I've had is this 1948 Yanks. And it's a wood rail, very interesting construction. Uh, one interesting point, on, and you were bringing this up earlier, was to uh, feed the ball into the trough. It's a separate lever. Yeah, there's usually two of the, um, of the shooter rod type devices, and one would lift the ball from the trough up into the uh, shooter lane, and then you'd have the standard uh, shooting rod. Oh, exactly. And it's got one solenoid controls four flippers simultaneously. Wow. I guess maybe to save some dollars after the after the war, sure. And, and which is really really quite interesting. Uh, when when the machine starts up, the insertion of the coin mechanism by putting a, a nickel actually turns on a bunch of relays and actually drops the balls into the loading area. That's all mechanical, uh, which is uh, quite fascinating. And the flippers too; they're called impulse flippers. Okay. And what's is, what's the difference there? Well, you can't hold the ball with the flippers. You push oh. them once, they pop up, they fall down again. Then you have to uh, push the uh, flipper buttons again. Uh, and each flipper button, just, just as an aside too, does all four flippers simultaneously. There's no left or right. So it's got a lot of oddities. But the history of pinball is, is fascinating, and it's kind of encapsulated in, in, in this machine. Interesting enough, in 1948 was one of the first times that they started demonizing uh, pinball machines. There's a little story on the on the history website about a, a policeman who went into a drugstore to play a, a machine undercover. He uh, basically it was a plunger machine where the ball would just drop down, on, on, not a flipper machine. Played five games, uh, won the sixth game, and it promptly arrested the owner of the uh, of the establishment. Uh, I think it was. Uh, Basically, in New York and Chicago, and I think you mentioned, of all places, Chicago, where pinball got banned. New York especially. It yeah. was uh, the mayor of the time, uh, LaGuardia. Yeah, LaGuardia was, was well-known. Yeah. Well, he was a strongly uh, against uh, pinball machines. I mean, he called them insidious nickel stealers, and, <laughs> and uh, children's lunch money were being uh, sent. And then when the uh, war was on, pinball was criticized for using up rare uh, materials. Oh, uh, metal and metal, uh, exactly, the electronics, yeah. sure. Yeah, he uh, he stated that the metal in these evil contraptions be, should be manufactured into arms and bullets. Uh, so he was uh, really on a tirade against them. So even though the, the boys were talking how uh, fun it was, and again, they did mention the, uh, the uh, GIs and uh, uh, Air Force people coming back. There sure. was a lot of disposable income too, and people were looking for entertainment. It was a time of... Uh, at prosperity, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, people yep. were looking for, for fun and entertainment. But it contrasted with this, uh, you know, the uh, restrictions of the fifties and the uh, perception of these machines as being controlled by uh, evil sources. So, well, and, and as you said there with LaGuardia, I mean that that alone in New York went on for twenty five years. Um, so this is the beginning of the demonizing of it, and the, but it it didn't uh, disappear overnight or anything like that. It stayed on for quite a while until Roger Sharp and the uh, Exactly. The shot that saved pinball. Yeah, into the 70s. Yeah. Which is, which is hard to believe considering how uh, how tame they seem. And especially this machine. Uh, you know, I look at it. It's a, like the boy said, it's a baseball machine. It's got a little bit of a diamond on the back. The players right. run around. There's no score reels. It's all scored with, with lamps and lights. Uh, quite a bit more complex than you'd think. And people often will say, well, easy to fix. It's not an electronic. Well, it's, it's, an, it's basically a mechanical computer. Right. Is what it is. And trying to, uh, uh, this one particularly challenging because it not only has uh, 
the standard relays and motor drives and, and everything else. But it also had a small fire, I believe. In, oh. <laughs> and inside it, a lot of the wiring's burned out. The wiring is cloth-covered wiring. Right, right. Uh, so I've had to go to uh, old radio suppliers to get this uh, special wire, trying to make it look relatively authentic. Sure. And uh, I managed to dig up a schematic for it, thanks to the uh, my friends at Pinball Resource. Oh, yes. Uh, which was great. But not everything is matching what's in the machine on the schematic. There's been a few, uh, shall we say, uh, creative modifications over the years. <laughs> So it's got history, it's got, uh, you know, uh, interest, and I'm looking forward to getting it done for uh, uh, this gentleman. Well, you've, uh, it, it's wonderful that you do what you do, Daryl, and you can bring things back to, uh, to life like this. And, uh, yeah, something like Yanks, something, you know, from 48 that's a patriotic theme and all, it's uh, just a wonderful thing to see it back up and running again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, Pinball Dave says I... Uh, I will do the impossible sometimes or take on the basket cases. And once in a while, I've regretted it. But ultimately, it's, uh, you know, if you can save one more machine for people, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, and it's part of the challenge, right? Like, I mean, you know, you, you know what you're doing, so it, it's good to be challenged every once in a while. And I learn something every machine. Well, hello, it's Dan Betterlick here with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. And today I've got a uh, good friend from back east, uh, Jeff Teolis, on the line. And Jeff, how are you? Good friend. Do I have to agree to that? I thought I <laughs> no, said no, I no, do no, the podcast. <laughs> no, exactly. No, you don't. Uh, an acquaintance, maybe, perhaps. Then. <laughs> I, I think uh, what people don't know is how influential you were to everything that is pinball in my world. So... Dan and I kind of met up at, I think it was a London, Ontario event, yeah. uh, my hometown, and you were driving a good hour and a half to get there uh, from when you were living in Oakville, and it was a fun night, it was a league, and then you told me, oh, there's other leagues, oh, and then there's other tournaments. I also live nearby you, so we kind of would carpool, yep. and we just would talk pinball the whole ride, and you got me really into it, and... You were the one who told me about tournaments and whatnot, and I, I remember when you told me specifically, you know, there's this big tournament called Pinburg, mm -hmm. and so I signed up for it for 2015, my first one, and uh, and then you, myself, Randy Whiteford, Steve Martin, we all look at go, hey, there's that guy right there. We should probably get our picture with him, and it was Roger Sharp, and that's uh, – you know, one of the great Pinberg memories for me was oh. meeting Roger. And you have that picture. I have that picture. It's uh, good memories. Oh, great, great memories of Pinberg and of, uh, you know, sleeping more than two to a room and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and everything else. But, yeah, no, it, uh, I, I, it was really cool. Like, you were somebody that was really enthusiastic about pinball, and that's one of the things that I caught on to right away. Um, and and you sort of knew the London scene a little bit better than I did. I, I knew Mike Mike Dimas, uh, a friend of ours, and and Julie, but I didn't really know many people from down there at that point. And uh, yeah, it was it was just good times. And uh, yeah, when you when you can start to find people you can drive with for a couple hours, and uh, you know you're not getting bored, then that's always a good thing. Um, and there were less tournaments and, and leagues back then. I mean, we would drive to London the hour and a half to get there to play a league night to play six games because there wasn't a lot of activity unlike nowadays where they're you know not including covid but there are tournaments all over the place 
there just weren't that many. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd go out of the way to find these things once you got hooked. But uh, that was what it was for me, just seeing all these old games. And I had been in pinball for 15 years. So when somebody on Facebook said, there's a league in London, I'm like, ah, I'm born and raised there. I'll go to London for a night and play some classic pinball machines and, and just fell in love from there. Yeah, no, it was cool. I, I had the same experience because I was uh, initially, before I met you, I was playing in the Toronto League. And that could, for me, because I was in the West End, could easily be 60 minutes to 90 minutes on a Monday night, which that hurt. Um, you know, working a full day, then going out, you know, and being over an hour away from your house and trying to make it back. At least the London League was a weekend, like Fridays or Saturdays, and that made it a little more, uh, you know, something easier to deal with. You know, uh, comparative to to Topol, but Topol was great too. Um, you know, we we had fun there too. Um, I did uh, do a little bit of back check on you here, and I noticed that you've climbed up to third in Canada now. Uh, you're playing <laughs> you're playing some pretty good pinball. Uh, although I did have uh, a message from the uh, oh, oh, hold on from the uh, hoodlum from Hespler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, this is a friend of ours, Randy. He's in that photo as well. And uh, you guys have a tradition that uh, a group of us did, but you guys were definitely some of the ones that first started it with uh, Looney Throwdown, so dollar games to our American listeners. And uh, he just mentioned that uh, even though you're third in Canada, it sounds like the uh, last time you guys got together, he got the best of you. We played 43 games. He was 23 and 20. Not that I remember <laughs> Bitterly, but uh, here's the thing about Randy and the joke about being third. Listen, trust me, when you know Axel Blonde starts playing pinball, that third's gonna be long gone. You know, I'll always be chasing the Robert Gagnos and Phil Birnbaums, and once Jack Tabman and Derek Thompson and Adam Becker start playing more tournaments, see ya. I'll be out of the top five for sure. But Eden Stam's another great player. But uh, Randy Whiteford is perhaps one of the best players who just doesn't play tournaments. He just plays his local TCPL nights. So, you know, whether I'm third in Canada or not means nothing because every time we play Looney Throwdowns, I don't even remember the last time I beat him. I, I, one night they came over to my house, he, Ian Harrower, and I think there was another person. We played nine games, nine four-player games. I didn't win one of them, and they are my machines. Oh, that hurts. Oh. oh. <laughs> I kicked them out. <laughs> As you should. No, that, that's the right thing to do. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I used to love that. I mean, we got into it just before I left. Uh, they had started to become more and more popular, and, and I definitely missed them. Um, you know, the the social aspect of the leagues that we had out there and everything was great. Like the mixing, you know, at, at times we had – the people from the east side of Toronto, Eddie and uh, that crew come out. And yeah. it, it was always a really good time. Um, so, yeah, your first Pinberg, I guess, yeah, you were saying 2015. Mine was 2014. Um, so you never got to go to the old building then, right? Well, I did go to the old building for Papa. Okay. In, so uh, that was obviously very special. And the first time I went to the old Papa building was 2016 and then also went in 2017. And, unfortunately, that was the last time they held the pop event there and in between 2016 2017 it was going to that pop facility sitting in line sitting in queues to play the games and i'm sitting and beside me i've got bow and karen's on one side and lyman sheets on the other side i'm like and i'm starting to learn i knew who bowen was i actually didn't know who lyman was at the time but i'm learning about these people and i'm like i'm, I'm getting a chance to play the best players in the world what other hobby sport can you do that in? You isn't, can't. Isn't that so cool? 
there's and a... that's what made me think of, you know what, I, with my radio background and doing interviews and stuff, it'd be kind of cool to interview these people because I'm fascinated myself. And that's how Pinball Profile was kind of born. I, sitting in that in those queues, I thought, I'm going to do this one day, and I did it a few months later. Uh, yeah, and, and and it's been quite successful. It's definitely a very enjoyable podcast. Just brushing on that uh, briefly then, so your background in radio, where did you start? Uh, did you have an actual morning show at one point? Yes, I did. So um, how I got into radio, I actually went to university for honors math. I was going to be a chartered accountant, but it wasn't really in line with what I wanted to do. My marks were good, but I was more of an outspoken person. In fact, a buddy and I dared each other to start doing stand-up comedy. So we would go to an amateur night, and we would do stand-up comedy, and we were quite successful. We would go every week, and then we actually started getting paid for doing it and would do weekend shows, which is pretty cool. No kidding, yeah. At that point, I'm like, I don't know if this university thing is going to – is this really what I want to do? And a buddy of mine suggested to me, hey, what? my nickname's Red. Hey, Red, why don't you come on my radio show and we'll talk uh, – I think we talked baseball or baseball cards or something like that. It was just a half an hour talk show that he was doing, and it was easy for me to do. I wasn't afraid of a microphone. I wasn't afraid to tell stories or crack jokes. Right. And he said to me after the interview, he goes, you should think about joining the radio program. And, you know – I was like, oh, maybe. It certainly is fun. That's kind of neat. So I applied. I was lucky enough to get in. There were 36 of us that got in out of 720 applicants. And I think think because I was at that point a mature student, you know, three, four years removed from high school and also had the public speaking of stand-up comedy, that might have pushed me over the edge because, you know, I have some speaking abilities and stuff. Um, maybe not in that last sentence, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but but that got me in the course. It was a two year program. I graduated right near the top of my class. I got a job four days later as a writer. I wanted to be an announcer, but I got a job as a writer and did some promo stuff and kind of never looked back. So that's 26 years ago. And even though I wanted to be, you know, as long haired Led Zeppelin freak, I wanted to be a rock jock. I needed to get my foot in a door, and and writing was the avenue to get in, writing commercials. And they said, look, we'll give you a weekend shift or enough to, you know, wet your whistle right. announcing. It worked. So that – and then you kind of move in different patterns. And so you asked about being a morning show host. At first, I was kind of a fill-in host. And okay. because I would only have to come on air, let's say, a week, four weeks a year, let's say. I would put everything into those shows. I remember the first time I went on air, the morning guy was freaking out because I had on air, I had Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart Simpson, join me. I had Isaac Hayes, the voice of, you know, Shaft, who sang Shaft, and he was Chef. Mm -hmm. So I I, I went out of my way to get superstars to make it like the greatest morning show ever. The guy came back from holidays like, what are you doing to me, man? Like, (laughs) just supposed to be saying the weather and stuff. I No way, man. I was going big. Love but it. that, but then, you know, I, I went into sales because I, I wanted to make a little more money and uh, I came up with ideas and I kind of like talking to people. And then I was offered the job where I'm at currently to come there and be their morning show host and, and program director with the 
understanding that within two years I would go back to sales, which I always wanted to do. So I actually never really wanted to be on air full time once I realized the path I wanted to go. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. And of course you did later on also have your, uh, big reds rock. Um, <laughs> my, cl- I, I, okay. So there I, I did for 12 years, a classic rock show called big reds retro rock, which was cool because again, you do a show once a week, you can put everything into it. I never once did the show live. I picked every single song and I set them up big. I did over a hundred rock interviews with, you know, you name a rock star, I had them on. It was it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, whether it's guys from The Who, The Kinks, sure. uh, Gene Simmons, you know, it was kind of neat to have this, this going on. And, uh, you know, so that kind of, again, now move forward a few years. I'm used to interviewing these people. I can do that in pinball. I can interview. You don't, you don't have to be a rock star. It can be anybody, right? We're all, we're all people. We all yep. have stories to tell. No, that's that 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 is cool, and 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 it's led to, like I say, you know, um, it's it sounds like I'm uh, kissing up here, but it's my favorite uh, podcast, which okay. is which is the profile because it was also you seem to understand the idea of putting things into bite size formats um, and things like that that you know differed from things that got fairly long, um, you know. Yeah, they've gotten a little longer, but I a perfect show for me, an absolute perfect pinball profile is. 30 minutes. Um, but sometimes, you know, you, you only get one chance at this guest and there's a lot of things you haven't co- you want to cover. Yeah. Ideally I should do it over a couple of shows, you know, just have them on again in a year, but sometimes they go long and, and I do a lot of editing. So I cut out a lot of things that I'm not saying are bad content, just fluff, if you will, just, you know, me saying things like that, you know, I'll cut yes. that out. Yeah. Yeah. People say obviously or they um ah and all that. I'll cut all that crap out because it makes myself and the guest sound. You know, we're trying to figure things out. Mm, I can pull that out. No, and that's and that is the joy of post uh, post production, right? I mean, it's uh, I'm joy. I'm, I'm, well, well, a joy for me because I'm very thankful that I've got a a co-host here, Daryl, that, that that enjoys doing it. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, God I say joy. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, I'm I'm very fortunate. Uh, He's he's definitely the tech side of this and uh, and has made uh, my life very easy. Good. Um, good. But no, that's uh, so so we we take you through there. Now now you're playing pinball, you're putting up some good results. Um, just this past well, not this past year because this past year you did nothing like everybody else. But um, the previous I, I year, got to Indus. I got to Indus. No, well, well we got to, yeah, we got to hang out at Indus and actually. Uh, you're the one that came and got me, went for my third overall for the seniors category. Yay, me. Very nice. <laughs> that, that was cool. Um, but uh, I was referring more to your world tour, which I thought was amazing. Ah. That was just so cool that you came up with this idea. Um, wh- where did that whole idea come from? Well, since I've been doing Pinball Profile and now even final round Pinball Podcast on the Pinball Network, I I get to go to a lot of different places. Knock on wood. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I get invited to a lot of places and get to do some speaking at places. So it really is. Listen, I was probably going there anyway, but it's if and if I am going there anyway, I always volunteer. Whether it's scorekeeping, whether it's you need someone to do the live stream, any whatever, anything, move machines, anything. And 
so I go to a lot of these events because I really enjoy pinball. And I, I was looking at my calendar in like a six-month period. I'm like, I'm going to be going to a lot of different places. I like running tournaments. I've fallen in love, fallen in love with these flip frenzies. Hmm. You know, I could probably do five. Boy, if I could get to ten. And the way it kind of worked out, I was going to, I think, four anyway. So I just had to do a tournament the night before. Like Expo, I did the night before at Jack Danger's place. Um, I was on vacation for two. When I was in San Francisco, I'm like, great, get to go to Free Gold Watch. I was in vacation in Australia. Great, I can do one in Australia. Um, I was invited to go to some other events, like uh, the European Pinball Championship. I'm like, I don't really know anybody in Denmark, but I can ask around. And we had a big tournament in Denmark as well. So I had 10 tournaments in four different countries in just over five months. So it was kind of cool. And 400-plus uh, people showed up. We got tons of prizes. I called all my contacts and said, hey, I'm looking for sponsorships. I'm really just looking for prizing because I want to give away prizing at these events. Look, here's a trophy for the winner. You get that. You get your Whoppers. Congrats. That's awesome. But I want – I don't care how you finish. Every other prize I did was a random prize. didn't matter where you finished. And Beautiful. That, include, that includes like the 75 people that were at the – pre-sanctum event the 20 so here here are a bunch of people playing the 24-hour sanctum you'd probably want to rest up for that no 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 we're gonna have a tournament the night before that's what i do <laughs> it's funny that 75 people were getting ready to play a 24-hour tournament at the sanctum but still wanted to play a tournament the night before but we had lots of prizes to give away and i can't thank the sponsors enough for that and I don't know. I just I just really enjoyed that kind of getting to, to know all these people. And, of course, I turned them into pinball profile shows, too. So there was good exposure there. Everybody got a shirt. Everybody had a chance to win a prize. We raised a couple thousand dollars for Project Pinball, too. So, I mean, it, it was nice, uh, this, this event that we did. So um, I, I, would I do it again? We'll see after, you know, COVID kind of settles down. And once everyone's vaccinated, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing, and, and and I love to hear, you know, that again, that a lot of the stuff is random and all that. We probably, yeah, one half to three quarters of our prizes here in leagues are random draws. You know, we'll always make sure people get something for first, second, third, that type of thing. But after that, I just want it to be, uh, you know, uh, make sure everybody's having a good time or as many people as possible. I I like winning in pinball. Don't get me wrong. Um but more than liking winning, I just like to do my best. And if I lose, I lose. If I can say I did my best, that's fine. But one thing I've never, ever done in pinball, except for the joke that is loony throwdowns, is I don't ever play pinball to win money. And not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that's not the motivating drive for me at all. It's, it's the fun of the games. It's definitely the people, as you notice now during this pandemic, and you're not seeing people. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't care about the money. That's the joke about the loony throwdowns. Who gives a crap about a dollar here or there, right? Exactly. It's just the, it's the bragging rights. It's Randy being able to hold that over my head that <laughs> he kicked my butt at my house. Yeah, and no, and that I is the it. truth. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree, and we, we see we see eye to eye totally on that. And, and I think more and more people are starting to understand it. 
Well, one of the other things that you did that uh, that I, I did want to bring up is that you were the guy responsible for our trophies that we uh, put into uh, the Tri-City League. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got one sitting right here. Now, this is Dan, yourself, and Randy Whiteford were definitely the, you know, the people that made TCBL such a great league that it is. And uh, I'm, I'm happy now to be on that board, if you will, with your absence. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, a lot of the prizes are turned into cash prizes for tournaments. I'm glad we don't do that in London. I'm glad we don't do that in TCPL. Um, it's just, again, not my thing. But one thing that is really cool is you guys decided let's have this monster keeper trophies. And your exact words were make it the biggest one possible. Yep. And so I found this trophy company I was working with, and I'm looking at it right now. It is the Roger Sharp Award the TCPL regular season award. And then there's also one for the playoffs and it's a big gold trophy. And Randy's got that one. That's the Steve Ritchie award. So um, it's funny. The Roger Roger Sharp one's the harder one to win because you got to win six nights. You got to have really good consistency. But as far as whoppers are concerned, it's the playoff one you want to win, which I have never won. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's cool. And it's also, it's been interesting, you know, again, following for the last four years, the relationship you've built up with the Sharps. Um, you know, I, uh, I see the posts as you being the, uh, the third son and the, uh, the favorite son. Uh, the son he always wanted. Yes, there you go. That was, that's the specific, uh, specific term. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's cool. And then again, like you say, how would you even think this was possible a decade ago or seven years ago or whatever, right? It, it's, no. it's part of what's cool about this family of pinball and the people that you meet. And like you said, you know, you're, 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 you're playing in groups. I mean, I remember when I played Lyman in Pinburg and, uh, mm. and that, that's my claim to fame is that, you know, that I was able to beat him in a group that we finished off on Monster Bash, which is one of the games he programmed. So you know, there's, wow. not, there's not many world champions and it was a while ago, but there's not many world champions that I can say I beat. But, uh, you know, on that given day in that one group for that slight period of time, I, uh, I, I was lucky enough to, uh, to pull it off. So yeah, that was, it's fun. And it, and it's, I think it's probably my, you know, best memory, but also saddest memory of Pinberg, you know, seemingly having, uh, gone away now. And, and and that's tough, but it's also great that we had good memories when we were there. I'm I'm focusing on the good memories for sure. Mm-hmm. And you're right, you're right about that any given day because, you know, I'll be in a tournament, and if you look at the rankings and you joked about being third and all that stuff, if you go by rankings, most of the time I'm playing somebody, I should be favored. I'm about fiftieth in the world right now. I should be favored to win unless I'm playing, you know, the elite. That's never the case. In fact, because so many people don't travel and they're not expected to win, you know. So right. I lose more times than I win because it's just you, anybody can win on any given day. That being said, my favorite memory of any kind of tournament was the first time I made the Stern Pro Circuit Finals and I just squeaked in. 40th out of 40 and probably because somebody dropped out that's how i got in but in my group i had trent augenstein the number one player on the circuit right bowen karens and keith owen and we had to play play four games 
and I'm nobody. All right, oh. I'm ranked, I don't know, two hundred something. Yeah. I I have got guys back home saying, Red, you're not going to win one game. You're going to be fourth in all four games. So the first game we play is Meteor, and I came in second, which means I beat two of those people. The first time I played Keith Owen and the first time I played Bowen Cairns, I beat them. <laughs> it doesn't happen ever again, but the point is on any given day. Exactly. And, uh, you know, that, that's a good – those are all Papa machines too. And, you know, with obviously the sadness of Pinberg going away and replay effects and them selling off their collection, don't you think for a minute I didn't look to see if I could buy that Meteor machine <laughs> that I beat Bowen and, and Keith on. Didn't get that, but I got the Ali that I beat Zach Sharpin at Papa. You had a run there, buddy, with with free play and with uh, Expo back-to-back. Those are like two of your best results ever. Yeah, I, I've had some success at Free Play Florida a few times. I've been going to that event since, I think, 2017. Oh, I, I don't know if I've been three or four times. But it's it's such a well-done event. And I don't know what's going to replace Pinberg. I honestly don't think anything will. I think Indisc is where people are going to flock to now. Yeah. But um, Free Play Florida is fun because you've got a classics tournament. You've got the main tournament. You've got some side tournaments. You've got... A lot of uh, things you can do for Project Pinball. It's just a good place, wonderful facility. And for us Canadians, chance to go to Orlando in November, I'm in. Yeah, I was going to say the weather. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's not usually what you plan pinball around. But I would in November, yeah, I would be all over that. That's uh, that's a good call. And then, yeah, no, that, that year you'd also done quite well at Expo, uh, I guess, the month previous um, you had a good result there too. So uh, well, the funny thing about Expo, or not funny thing, I guess, as it turns out, I was supposed to play in the main tournament, but I got an emergency phone call from my son, and I had to come home. So I, I didn't qualify in the the, uh, I didn't actually play one game in the main tournament, but I kind of had my room already paid for for three nights. Mm-hmm. So I went home, everything was fine. And then I went back to Chicago. And this is driving, so, you know, four or five hours. Yep. Um, and then I could only play in the classics. And so I guess I put all my attention in that, and maybe that's why I did well. Yeah, no, that, that, that was a good uh, – I think I think you were fifth, fifth I have you. But, uh, yeah, no, it was a good result. I, I was just curious. I hadn't really – like when I heard you were third in the country and, and that you had broken, actually, you broke the top 50 um, briefly Once. in November. Yeah, in November. Well, this this month. I guess, because we're recording at the end of November. So, yeah, you've got to 48th. So good on you. Um, um, <laughs> Just a lot of volume, that's all. Well, no, no, those are all it good helps. results. Uh, no, no, it definitely helps. Like, I mean, that's I, – I, I'm in a state right now where I'm actually going up in the standings. So you got 24 players there. So that dollar kind of goes back into that. But really, we're talking about a dollar here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes five tournaments – or league events, or five entries in IFPA to be considered a, quote, player, which then every player gets, every time you're in a tournament, every player is worth a half a point. And then when you factor in their rating and their ranking, their efficiency percentage, all that kind of stuff, that makes the numbers go up. So, um, you know, if you have 20 people and they're all players, that's worth at least 10 points, but more because of whatever their ratings are. Right. But if you could have 20 players and no one's a rated player, things are worth nothing. Yep. No, and that was sort of like I was doing too much of the trying to protect the dollar versus trying to get people qualified. So we had a Not bunch of – Not going to win. 
no, no, no. And, and no, no, no. What it was is we were opening up a different part of the island um, oh. in March of this year. So we were ready to run uh, something similar to what you did. Uh, you helped run in Guelph that one time, you know, three or four, three or four single game <laughs> tournaments. Do you know why we did that? Because oh. So we knew the dollar. We knew the dollar was coming. Yes. And so we thought, oh, okay, well, we'll just run a bunch of tournaments that are worth nothing, but they count. Yep. And you don't have to pay a dollar for them. So that's that was out. That's what a lot of people did, and to to get people to that player status. Yep. And and in this case here, the people will know that they're going to have to pay five dollars, but that'll get them five single game tournaments, and then whenever they do start their leagues up, they're starting at full speed. Right. And, yeah. and, and that to me is, it's worth it. Um, you know, I've talked to them, of course, COVID's got to go away and the IFPA has to start uh, sanctioning events again. But, uh, you know, these are things that you learn being a, being a director or, or, or a league rep. And, uh, and, you know, I've, I've definitely made mistakes and, and tried to correct them as I go forward. And also just looking at different parts of, uh, of, of things that you're emphasizing, right? You know, beforehand it was, okay, uh, make sure you're getting value for your dollar. Now it's like, and, and we still do that. Like we now will double up on nights, you know, um, yeah. without too much geek speak, you know, that, you know, if you're, let's say you're getting 48%, it's like, well, why not run two nights together then, you know, and get 96% and, uh, and uh, you know, get your full value then. So I found the best way to get full value. What we're talking about is to get a full value in a tournament, you need to have, um, it's TGP. So you need 25 TGP, which are, you know, it doesn't stand for total games played. I can't remember what TGP stands for, but the point is if you have 24 games that are played, 25 games that are played, your tournament will be worth full points. So whatever your players are, times half a point, sorry for all the math, that's what your tournament's worth. So if you only play 10 games, that's only going to be worth 40% of your maximum. Right. So flip frenzies are the absolute best ways to get that number close to 100% in the quickest amount of time. Agreed. Because you put a playoff near the end of it, and uh, you're going to either hit it or be very, very close. Yeah, you don't even need a playoff depending on how long you go and how many games you get in. And especially if you're doing less long-playing games, if there are a lot of EMs or mm-hmm. solid states, you, you might be in luck. But Flip Frenzies are full TGP. I, I mean, I don't – I like playing pinball, and I'll take anything I can right now, especially with COVID. But I definitely look for the tournaments that are going to be full TGP. Yeah, that just makes sense. Um, our it's prob- time invested. I want it to be worth it. That's yeah. All. Our problem here is there's not a lot of large private collections. Like frenzies are tough in arcades because, uh, especially arcades that are coin drop, because you know then it starts to turn into a panic thing. And you know, are you playing games that you want to play and everything else? So, so um, it's not as easy for us. Although we have we we do them as our our fundraisers. Well, uh, thank you again, Jeff. It's uh, great catching up with you. Um, always a good time. And I wanted to thank you for being a guest here on the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. Good job on doing the podcast. Congratulations to you and Daryl. And uh, thanks, Dan, for so much. I mean, really getting me into pinball, helping me with uh, purchasing machines and just great overall advice. Uh, I, I miss you here in Ontario, but I love what you're doing out there in B.C. Well, I look forward to when we can be together again, my friend. Okay, take care of yourself. All the best you can, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Bye bye. Goodbye.
we're running our first contest here on the VI Pinball Podcast, uh, and the specifics are as such. There is a connection between today's guests, Brent and Jeff. The first person that can email us at vipinballpodcast at gmail.com with the answer of what is the connection between Brent and Jeff wins some swag from us here. Now, it is going to be local pickup. It's got to be picked up at the Coastal Pinball Research Center. So uh, please note that. Uh, but the first ever, or the first uh, email in will win some swag. Whether that's t-shirts or hats, we'll uh, figure it out with the person that wins. So that's a wrap for VIP Podcast. Uh, many thanks to our house band, the Battletones, for our intro song, Washed Up. See you tomorrow, Daryl and Dan.